Thanks for joining the conversation. Thank you. Thanks for having me. Jason, I was just thinking, this is a conversation. I was thinking, how different would this be if we were at a coffee shop? If we had a little light music in the background, a little natural noise, and we're caffeinating or whatever your poison may be, and uh, having a conversation that's fully natural in the physical world. So my ask is, can we aim for that? Yes. I have, my, I have a beverage. <laughs> we'll just picture Perfect. some jazz music in the background. Or whatever they play at coffee shops. There it is. There it is. And I was thinking, what would be the first question I'd ask you? We've been... Go ahead. The first thing I'd do is tell you... So it's it's September. And we're getting into the Halloween and holiday season. So the first thing I would do is tell you my favorite Halloween joke. It's a five-word horror story. Go for it. You ready? I'm ready. Monday. Tuesday. Wednesday. Thursday. Monday. <laughs> That's the high oh. five-word horror story. <laughs> oh, I hear you. Well, maybe we can change that through the work that we do. Mm, yeah. L- l- let's set a little context for the conversation. As you know, we are, we're talking about people initiatives. And we usually talk about what is the goal of the organization and uh, what are the people initiatives. These could be activities, programs, or processes that are designed to activate change and reach the goal. And then we get into what's the current mindset. I think we would be um, cutting ourselves short if we don't start this conversation by talking about the current mindset. Um, I know you're, you're launching a number of cohorts, and every cohort is reflective of what you're seeing in the market, whether it's post-pandemic, is this the first time someone is coming in in person, the stress is anxiety. So, Jason... As you look at the cohorts that are coming into the organization, um, what what are the patterns that you're seeing in terms of the mindset of the folks that are joining? So the the people who've come in in the last year and and the people that will be coming in for the next three, four, five years will have spent a, about two years of their schooling in, in formative years completely virtual. Whether it was right now, it's it's the last couple of years of college, but it's going to be high school. So this is going to have a long tail and. Everybody that I talk to that that are just coming out of school are telling me about how that was disruptive to their ability to make and continue social connections mm-hmm. and build networks and really feel connected. So they're going through school, but it did not feel the same. They did not have the experiences they did when they were in person, and they know that they missed out, and they're hungry for that. So as they're entering, they're looking for the opportunity to connect with each other and the opportunity to connect with with their leaders as well. And I, I did a little bit of my homework for this, uh, and so I wanted to share a couple stats as well, Please. just to reinforce that, which is that uh, the majority of, of Gen Z will say that uh, recognition is really important at work, as it is for most generations. But for them, they like to receive feedback in person. That's really important. And so you may think, oh, they're digitally native, they're very fluent, they can jump on Zoom, they don't, like, they don't need to commute. And that's all true, and the comfort and flexibility of being home is is valued. But they also want to be in person to learn from each other and to get feedback from each other, to build community as well. You see, right before we jumped on, you talked about your daughter, right? She's starting school, and she wants to sit right by her friends. And mm-hmm. how important is it? Well, her dad is is knows how important it is because she's thinking about it. That connection, that sense of belonging um, is, is critical. 
what are you seeing that's most shocking to you from these cohorts when they do come together? Is there is there a realization where you kind of sit back and go, "Why I didn't see that coming," or maybe the opposite? You saw it coming, and now it's you're seeing it manifest itself. I will say that the the these are folks that are out of school and they are enjoying things that I find quite charming, which is when we get together, the activity that they self-selected to go offsite to do one evening was karaoke. And the other one was to go to find a Dave and Buster's arcade and to just spend time together doing pretty fun, wholesome things and, and have fun and be a bit silly. And so it, there's just that hunger for connection and fun ways to interact with each other. And I think they're looking for our organization to help organize things like that for them as well. Makes sense. So, so the current mindset is, call it connection deprived. Yeah, I'd say that's uh, fair. Years of stress, anxiety, maybe bleed in in some cases things that are a bit more challenging from a mental perspective, perhaps certain technology addictions taking place. And of course, concerns, political, social, cannot, there's all kinds of things in people's minds today. Mm-hmm. Um, I want to hone in now on the people initiative. And, and specifically, we'll talk today about onboarding. Mm-hmm. I, I also been preparing for the conversation. And here's one, one research study that I think is super relevant. Out of 2,500 employees um, interviewed by The Muse, 72% of workers said that they started a new job only to realize that the position or company was different from what they were led to believe, a phenomenon they call shift shock. That's a new one for me. Mm -hmm. But what's even more concerning, 80% felt it was fine to quit within two to six months of experiencing the shift shock, right? So, Jason, talk to me about the onboarding talk to me from your perspective what are you looking to accomplish how do you what can you do to ensure they don't experience the ship shack and if they do they don't leave the so the other stat that's complementary to that that we found in some of our work is that uh, two-thirds of gen z say they want to work for an employer that share their values and there was a, a separate study that said workers that feel strongly strongly connected to their employer are 75 times more likely to be fully engaged. Hmm. At fully engaged, you assume, means productive, participative, totally. innovative, et cetera. So the thing that we really try to do, and I'll talk about the, the specific subgroup that I'm working with because we do have an onboarding program that's pretty intense, is when we recruit, we talk about our culture. And then we onboard, we really live that and we show that. And then that continues into the work. And the project teams and our leaders have also undertaken work to make sure that there are mechanisms to perpetuate and to strengthen our culture, both virtually and in person as we're coming out of the pandemic. And so it's, it's bridging the gap between what we say and what we do. So there's as little of that gap as possible so that there is no shock. There's no bait and switch that we say when we're recruiting that we are a very culture-first, people-first, purpose-led organization. And when they come in on the onboarding experience, they see that, they feel that. And we've gotten the feedback that they do. And then as and we prepare them to enter the, the workforce and train them, as they join teams, they also see that and feel that in terms of the well-being initiatives and the activities that we do to make sure that the apprenticeship model is there and that the culture perpetuates throughout their career. How long is the onboarding process? Our onboarding across um, all of our service lines is at very least two full days 
along with several days within your subservice lines. The one that our group does, and it's quite an immersive experience, we call it immersion, is three and a half weeks. And that, that actually started before the pandemic. It was the realization, and as we were growing very quickly, we're growing at maybe 30, even 40% some years, that when you bring on new people, how do you continue to grow the culture with that many new people that don't know the culture? Well, you do it in part by having them immersed in it throughout the first period of time and also to train them up so that when they join projects for the first time, they are fully prepared. And so three and a half weeks is a big commitment and a big investment. But what we're hearing, or I should say, and what we're hearing is that it's worthwhile because what our people are saying is that they feel proud to work for our company after going through the experience, that they feel prepared to join, and that they also build a connection, a network, so that when they're on their first project, which if it's a transaction can be very short fuse, very quick, and they need a template or they have a question, that they already have a network that they could reach out to, they could ping on Teams, and they can ask a question, they could find materials at the drop of a hat with, with a community of people they already trust and know and have been out to karaoke with and, they've been, and have gone through a case with and presented to leadership with. And so that level of comfort and ease and belonging is there right, right off the bat. It's kind of similar to school. When you mm -hmm. look at your graduating class, the relationships you and the bonds you've built mm -hmm. can last a lifetime. Mm -hmm. It could offer opportunities and, and help you during, during challenging times. And it is a large investment, three and a half weeks in person. Uh, I'm not familiar with others, especially in your space, that are doing something similar. Are you, are you guys pretty unique? So it's... Um, so I'll clarify that it is three and a half weeks in total. And we do one one plus week virtually, completely virtually to start. Everybody gets to their computers, they get set up with all the tools and technology, and we do some of the core learning virtually. And then there are some days that are in local offices. So they gather in conference rooms in the local offices. I might zoom in to all the rooms at the same time so that I can facilitate. We have other facilitators do that. But they're there connecting with each other. And then we sort of cap it off towards the end with a full week of offsite. And that's really for community building, socializing, strengthening those bonds, and going through a case where they're working long hours together and then ultimately cultivate or, and then ultimately culminates in a presentation to leadership in, in small groups, smaller groups of five or six people. So I think that's a nice design because they get a little bit of flexibility. They start and they're not having to commute in every single day. They're getting set up with all the technology and also the learning that we do, we're doing virtually a lot of the content, the, the technical skills, getting them set up on some of our tools and what we found is, and what the research really points to, is that learning itself can be as effective, if not more effective, virtually. So you show up to a class, and the learning experience can be more effective, if well-designed, can be effective virtually. So we, we don't need to get together to learn. But what we do need to get together for is to build those connections and to feel that sense of community, to feel that sense of belonging. So a, a little bit of both. I think the, the key there, and generally with work too, is structured and predictable flexibility in knowing that I come in sometimes when it's meaningful and important and relevant, and that I can be flexible and work from home sometimes when that, that suits me and I don't have to deal with the commute, and I can also uh, hang out in my pajamas and walk the dog and take care of go to the dentist in the middle of the day and not, not have to, 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 to slog in into the city. 
there's so much there to unpack. Mm-hmm. I, this hybrid work that mm-hmm. we're entering mm-hmm. into, uh, yeah. un- unprecedented. Of course, if it's a well-intentioned and engaged employee, there's much to worry about. Mm-hmm. You understand that they will, they will, they will show up in the way that that suits their their lifestyle while operating at the highest level possible. But of course, many folks are disengaged in the workplace, um, and I think going back to onboarding how you set that foundation um, one of the my favorite books on this topic I have it in front of me is The First 90 Days by Michael Watkins and, and if he's listening very much look, hope we uh, sync up our calendars and he joins but, but he said one of his quotes is joining a new company is akin to an organ transplant and you are the new organ <laughs> if you're not thoughtful in adapting to new situations you can end up being attacked by the organization immune system and mm-hmm. reject it mm-hmm. you know how true um, so so what i what i'm curious about is so we talked about the importance of connection belonging we talked about you guys are creating the space with the investments around it for the organ to be transplanted mm-hmm. successfully um, how do you measure success? How do you think about the the the, goal, the business goals of the organization? Do you think about how quickly these folks are performing? Are they being retaining? Is it about uh, the career development for those cohorts that participated? Walk me through how you justify the investment side of it. Well, ultimately, we can look at things like the the growth of our practices. Uh, this you know the sales the revenue we can look at utilization these are the traditional ways that we might look retention one of the things that we're also looking at doing internally is trying to measure the things that have traditionally been unmeasurable in terms of in well i'll use the term engagement loosely but in terms of how people are feeling about things and one of the aspects of how people are feeling that came out of the pandemic is really important is well-being so how do you measure individuals' well-being? And the, the strong assumption, because as I mentioned, people will leave if they don't feel connected to the organization. There's another stat that 60% of millennials and Gen Z are prepared to leave if they don't get more flexibility in their work. Well-being being important overall. And, and the flexibility aspect of it being a, a component. So looking at how we measure well-being is something that we're looking to do pretty strongly and holding people accountable to it because people will perform based on what we measure. And so, yes, revenue goes up, utilization is high, retention is good, and how are people feeling? You know, what is, their, what is the well-being? If we have an index on well-being and we can measure that, are people feeling like they have all of the well-being aspects taken care of, emotional, financial, social? So what the, what the firm is doing is looking at how do we support that with our benefits and different programs internally and how leaders can support in building that as well. We also know intrinsically that we have succeeded because of the culture that we have built. And so we want to build more people that also are proud of that culture and therefore either want to stay or when they leave are friendly because anybody who leaves a big firm like ours becomes a client, a potential client. And so we know that no matter how big our attrition is, it is good business and the right thing to do to make sure people feel like they have everything they need to succeed. Uh, you, you know, and, and maybe the, this will trigger, as we think about the goals that are divided between performance 
and people goals, right? On the performance, utilization, all those aspects. Then on the people side, wellness, we can look at retention. Mm-hmm. Um, wh- what I'm curious about uh, is how do you think about all the stakeholders, internal stakeholders who are involved in this onboarding process, right? You've got recruiters. Mm-hmm. Are they involved? Are they setting the right expectations? Then there's the managers that are involved. And then there are the peers. And I'm not talking about the cohort that we discussed. I think that's fantastic. But I'm curious about all the other stakeholders and how do you see them mapping onto the onboarding process? We do have a pretty active uh, interconnected group that works both on the recruiting and the onboarding. So our our talent function broadly has a very interconnected relationship between the recruiters, our internal talent development consultants, our learning. And so they're talking all the time so that recruiting has the latest information about everything we're doing, all of the benefits that we're doing, the talent development initiatives, et cetera. And then as they're onboarded, the the cohort of facilitators that is actually actively onboarding them is quite large. We had over 300 of our client servers from our leaders all the way down to folks who joined last year coming in and working with the folks that were onboarding. And the folks that joined last year, it might be a peer panel where they get to go off into Zoom breakout rooms on their own for an hour and just have a ask me anything session where they get to really learn what it was like for the first year without anybody else in the room. And then we have the folks that they'll work for, their managers come in and talk about expectations, about how to build slides that they like to see, the review process, how to do the analytics. And then we have our leaders come in to talk about the overall strategy, how they think about the different sectors that we work in, the businesses that we work in, the service lines that we're working in and building. So it's uh, so it's uh, Seth Godin, who I admire, that says culture is basically the phrase, people like us do things like this. And so Super simple. As people come in, we say, look, this people like us do things like this. This is how we do it. And this is how we, we want you to do it. And we also want your diverse view on how to do it, because maybe we can make it better. But generally, these are the things that are important. These are our values. And these are the expectations. And they, and they get that from, like I said, over 300 people from all walks of the firm. Fantastic. That's a lot of people involved in the onboarding process, um, w- which kind of leads me to what's next, which, as you know, in this in this conversation, we talk about the future people initiatives. And, um, and you know, my background is in marketing. So, you know, years ago, when we when we, when we thought about marketing it was on the creative side, and this creative is still, of course, there, but it, a lot of it now is data driven. Um, and the way I think about onboarding is a very specific audience with specific needs. So how do we think about the future people initiatives from the perspective of data, data, understanding them, meeting them where they are, looking at patterns and trends? I was even wondering when someone is coming into uh, such a vast organization with so many functional areas, do you modify the onboarding based on the functional area they're joining? If they're joining in, into your on, on the advisory side versus maybe on the marketing side of the organization or communication. So kind of w- walk me through your thoughts on as we think about the future, what is the role of data? One thing that I would say about data is that there has to be a lot of trust between the organization and the individual on what data we're collecting and how we're using it. And so 
it can it can very it all goes back to the culture and having a strong set of values and having trust among the leaders and the employees and the new hires. Because if we say that we want to track X, that can be seen positively or negatively based on whether there's a belief that the leaders are going to use that to better the individual or to better the organization's bottom line. One of the things that we do do right now during the onboarding, it's a three and a half weeks, as I mentioned, and at the end of every week, we send a survey to them. It's anonymous for the cohort, but we ask them questions about each of the segments of the week. And when we do that, the preface is, we are growth mindset. We ourselves are trying to get better every single time. We know that we don't have this dialed in completely. We know that things change. So every onboarding is slightly different, hopefully improved. And what we want is your feedback on every one of the modules to say, how is it effective or how could it be more effective? And we do take that, we look at it and we improve. So we're, we're living the, that value of constant improvement using the data and by reinfor- being very transparent and reinforcing that. And then more broadly across the firm, we have people pulse surveys where we ask on a regular basis some very short and simple questions about perception. And that that is used as well. And there's a bit of transparency that we collect that so that we can adjust whether it's our culture, our benefits, our process, whether we could arm our, our people and our leaders better. And so it's it's a constant struggle to prove that. But if the it's the intention, I think, if the intention is there and we can continue to prove that, and that's the responsibility of every single leader to reinforce that we're doing that um, in a lot of big ways and a lot of little ways in the hallway conversations and things. But that's, I think, how, how we can make sure that we're using the data well to the right ends. Yeah, similar to the world of uh, marketing when you think about a customer joining mm-hmm. and, and getting their feedback. And then mm-hmm. there's the ver- version of your service or product. And in your case, there are different modules. Mm-hmm. So for you, that data is a feedback mechanism to continue to improve. Mm-hmm. Um, what, what, what I'm curious also, and then every cohort you're saying is marking that new improvement, that, that learning for the organization. Um, what I'm curious about, is there a future state where the onboarding becomes more personalized? Is there a future state where the onboarding understands my unique attributes? And I heard you loud and clear. Mm-hmm. There are questions of how we use data mm-hmm. and how we use it responsibly and how do we use it for the betterment of the process. With that lens in mind, what mm-hmm. would be the most relevant future state onboarding experience um, and I'm and I'm catching you off guard. We didn't prep for this, Jason. That's We're just kind of yep. ideating. Yeah. W- w- what what's possible when we think about three to five years from now? I do think that there are certain aspects of onboarding that I think everybody should go through, no matter where you come from. And it's going back to the people like us do things like this. We want to build the culture the right way. That said, there are different skill sets when we hire people. And we do, by the way, hire people both from undergraduate and graduate. And so they come in from different different ages, different backgrounds and experience. Some of the graduate hires have many years of experience under their belt in addition to additional schooling. So they may, they, they may come in with, take Excel skills, for example, a much higher fluency in Excel and do not need the basic 101. And so there's a, there's a level now of, a baseline that we share, where we say, if you already know it, then be a leader and help each other. And just join us. We're going to go through things that are rudimentary. You already know it. Help those that don't know it. And and by doing that, you help 
learn it better yourself, but also you get to exhibit strengths as a, as a, as a leader for your peers. And that's, that can be valuable. I think that a more differentiated or personalized version could have some different cuts of that same training for those that are more fluent, that they get the 102 or the, or the 201 or the 301 version. That is a little bit more difficult because with learning, you're learning at your best when you're in the zone of proximal development, right? When it's right on the edge of your own knowledge and skills, when it's a little bit hard. And mm-hmm. so if it's too easy, you'll, it is easy to tune out to be bored. And so it, it does need to be a little hard, appropriately difficult. So when it comes to technical skills, we can differentiate a little bit more there. When it is a, a culture activity, like we talk about, what does it mean to have a high-performing team? That we want everybody to go through, no matter what your experience in the workforce might be before. You may think you know how to run and work on high-performing teams, but we want you to go through this experience so you know how we talk about it, how we want to do it. And so that probably would stay consistent. And someone who's joining the organization as a manager role in, in a leadership, I don't like the word manager mm. versus an associate, mm-hmm. what, what's the delta in the difference for mm. the onboarding for them? Yeah, the, the, so there are there is some differentiation there where if, if you are coming in with some years of experience and an expectation that you are going to be managing others or overseeing others, being a leader to others, that there's a slightly different experience. They, there are breakouts where they talk about those roles and those expectations and what does it mean to be a leader and to oversee folks, especially when you're new and therefore trying to prove yourself or you know prove your own skills at the same time as it really is your responsibility to care for others and to showcase others. So they would have a, a they do have a different experience than than the associates that come right out of undergrad that for the first time ever are entering the workforce. Yeah, I can imagine. And I also wonder if there is if you've had manager leadership experience in the past, if there's a question of almost um, how do we unlearn maybe some of the things that we've we've learned mm-hmm. elsewhere, I'm curious. I'm curious. Mm-hmm. How, how do you think about that? Um, I think that is important too, and we have had experiences where it's so important for folks coming in from competing firms to learn the way that we do things in terms of the regularity of feedback, the kind of feedback, the values that we have. Not to disparage anything else about the other firms, but there there is a uniqueness to our culture. And so part of it goes back to when we when we do these sessions, and, and one of them that we do in person very specifically was about healthy conflict and giving feedback. And we do it, we do that all together, the entire cohort. They go through a big experience together where they work several days in a row, long hours, they give a presentation, and then right at that elevation moment coming off of the high of finishing a presentation, we have a session where we talk about not just the outcome, like how how did the presentation go, but how did you work together to get there? And the importance of being able to share your thoughts, your feelings, being comfortable, uh, not avoiding conflict, not having unhealthy conflict, but having healthy conflict, meaning being able to share ideas openly with, so looking back at the last few days, spending time giving each other open and candid feedback on where and how each of the other people on their team could improve, and then getting it yourself and being open to it. And that's important. I think that's really important to do in person because just as you mentioned at the beginning, having coffee across the table from each other would feel different because it feels different to be in person. The body language, just the the visceral experience of being in person the experience in person of giving that feedback 
the anxiety you have in giving it, in getting it, the self-awareness that you have, the discomfort that you have, going through that all together, we've gotten feedback from many of our participants on how valuable that is to do and what a learning experience it is, especially those that are our MBA hires that come from other companies that have experience in other companies, having never really experienced a feedback session of that depth before. And we've had people tell us whether it was undergraduate cases where they did they did feedback over Zoom or whether it was other companies that they came from, that they had never had an experience like that and how meaningful it was to give feedback that, that raw and that candid. And at the end of the session, we say, you know what, if you, if you haven't had time to finish, because we got we to close out because we're going to our next activity. If you didn't finish now, then find time and finish later. And, and we move to break. And when we moved to break, there was a half a dozen teams that stuck around because they weren't done and they spent their break providing each other more feedback because they were in the groove. They were really in it. They really wanted to finish and, and they did. It was great. To it's see. Fasc- fascinating because uh, feedback as a gift, right, is, mm-hmm. is a sentiment I've heard over the years. Mm-hmm. And I know personally I've had a really difficult time with difficult conversations on both sides, mm-hmm. giving, receiving. I have a few folks fortunate in my ecosystem that are comfortable that have been guiding me personally through that journey and for Mm -hmm. you guys to include that as part of your onboarding to level set that those are part of our organization will build that muscle um that that's that's incredible and in terms of having it virtual versus in person Mm -hmm. i can't even begin to consider how different of an experience it is just grabbing that coffee and sitting down you know, getting the vibe and then having the conversation where you can feel the warmth versus, well, hello, we're mm-hmm. on a Zoom or Microsoft Teams video and uh, now we're done. Mm-hmm. Have a good day. Yeah. Right, as opposed to walking away together. It can become, it, it, it has become very transactional while we're all virtual to schedule a meeting for a particular objective, agenda items, and then be done and close. And there isn't the opportunity for the casual, informal, unpredictable chit-chat that happens before and after. And so one, one of the things that we've been very, uh, one of the things we've been very clear to ask our teams to do is to set up structured, unstructured time, which sounds counterintuitive, but virtual coffees, virtual, you know, we're all going to have lunch, so we're just going to jump on to a video call and have lunch. We don't have to have any conversation. You could put it on mute, but just to be around and try to create those organic moments where the, you don't know where the conversation is going to go, but you, you need to have the space to have this, to, ha- to explore and to go there. And that's the, the beauty of the cohort experiences you're creating, these, these happy connections, these accidents, or, 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 or by design, you, you, you're creating relationships that will last a lifetime. Yeah. And now, Jason, I will, yeah, yeah, I will. I will add. So as we're going through, when you get a whole bunch of people together from across the country, random, you know, trying to get random collisions, that's like a little bit like the lottery. But when you can get people that are from the same cohort or the same team or the same service line together, where they're likely to work again together, then you obviously have much higher likelihood that the bonds that you form on these offsites become reinforced on a day-to-day basis because actually you're going back to the same office working with the same people probably on the same projects together again and so those bonds that you form just reinforce and accelerate the culture that we have on a day-to-day basis 
bonds, connection, belonging, relationship. There are so many words that we describe, some very simple concepts that we as humans, that's just part of our nature. Yeah. We, we weren't designed to work on our own in silos. Um, so I'll ask you for one last takeaway for the audience. Mm-hmm. I mean, we, today we talked about onboarding that helps to improve performance of the organization, helps to improve the, the people experience within the organization. If you, if someone who's listening in is looking to evolve their onboarding experience, what would be one takeaway that they could uh, they could walk walk away with? I would say that if you know, I would say actually two things. One is if you know your company's culture, what's what's the archetype of the culture? What are the values? Can you articulate what it is about the culture that's important and special? Make sure that you intentionally build that into your onboarding, both in the content that you deliver, but also the way you do it so that they feel that right off the bat, because that's when everybody's open, blank slate, to learn that, to strengthen and reinforce it. The second thing I'd say is, I want to go back to the term hybrid and to clarify that when we've found hybrid to be successful, hybrid does not mean some people are in person and some people are virtual zooming in or, or on a video call. And it's a mix and match. Hybrid could be interpreted that way. And what we find is that that's, that's one of the worst setups because it has none of the benefits of being all virtual when we're all on equal footing, when we're all have our own little zoom picture, we could all hear each other, see each other, share our files equally. And it has none of the benefits of it being all in person, which is that visceral experience, seeing each other, the body language, all of that. It has a little bit of both and, and none of really the good things. So when we say hybrid, we mean sometimes we are all virtual and sometimes we are all physically together, but either way, and this is, is, is a very inclusive concept. Everybody is on the same footing. And if you are going to be mixed, that you find ways to be intentional about being inclusive that way. So if, if nine out of 12 people are in person having a conversation that you intentionally pause to ask the three people that are zooming in or on a video conference, whether they'd like to come off mute and add anything. Because if, 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 there's that burstiness happening in the room and you're just riffing and you're chatting. It's very easy to get lost when you're the two or three people that are sitting on the call. So don't do it. If you have to do it, be very intentional about how you can be inclusive when you're mixed. And, and you hate to be that uh, person on the phone. Oh, yes. Yeah, here's everyone having a great time and mm-hmm. off they go and they probably forgot about you. What do you say? Hello. There's all this voice came, came on. So I, I think intentionality to recognize these different styles these different environments that we're part of mm-hmm. but also l- love the focus on incorporating culture incorporating culture in onboarding jason this has been fascinating and i look forward to to our next gym i agree i had a great time thanks for having me and i would love to chat more at some point in the future over and out take care